seated. Come on, sweetie. Oh, honey, you've got you've got something on your face. Brush your teeth? Did you really brush your teeth? Let me smell your breath. Mom! Hey, Jake, honey, this is the only thing I could find, all right? <laughs> Mom! Yeah, it's a compound fracture. I'm sorry, sweetheart. You're gonna be okay. Mom? Well, you have a good set of crutches? Seriously, Jake, what am I going to do with you? Mom. Hi, Jake. Hi. Ooh, she's really cute. Mom. Mom? Mom. Jake, sit up straight, honey. Mom. of me at the baseball game. It's amazing they captured it. Like literally at 11.15 a.m. We've got the B1 second game of the tournament today. That's what will be for Mother's Day. Uh, welcome, good morning. We're so glad that you're here. We're so glad uh, for all the moms in the room and for all of us who have a mom. Raise your mom if you have a mom ever in your whole life. Have you ever had a mom? Yes. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms. Welcome to First Pres. For those of you in the room, for those of you online, we're so glad that you would join us this morning. We just love our moms and we love being able to celebrate our great God who created us and that he allowed us to have this special relationship, uh, this bond with our moms. If you're new, we would love to meet you, to get to know you. The best way that that can happen is by filling out a connect card. We have them in the welcome tent. You can scan the QR code. We just want to get to know you, and that's a great way to do that, if you would pray with me. <clears throat> God, we are so grateful for this special day that we have set aside to celebrate moms. For the moms that, um, God, we have, and for the moms who we remember, Jesus, we're just so thankful for the gift of motherhood. God, 
We also are aware, though, that for some people, Mother's Day is a really difficult day, and it's a sad day, and it's a hard day. And so, Jesus, we also just want to pause and acknowledge that and name it and pray for the people in the room um, and the people online who maybe are having a hard time today. Jesus, would you just wrap your arms around them? And would you care for them? And would you just help us to um, be grateful, Jesus, for your intimate care for us? God, we celebrate um, the things going on in the life of our family here at church. We pray for Joey and Florentina Brandis married last night. We just thank you for the beginning of their marriage and life together. We also lift up Mike Cantor, our, our dear friend to you, having surgery on Monday. We just pray um, for Mike's swift healing and for the doctors who are going to be caring for him. Jesus, thank you for this morning uh, where we get to come and be filled up so that we could go out throughout our week overflowing uh, to love those around us. In Jesus' name, amen. I have a couple of things I wanted to tell you all about. The first is we have, raise your hand if you were here when Joe Sangle came and preached. He was talking about money and personal finances. Oh, yeah, I, it took a second, but now you all are remembering. So he uh, graciously wants to do a two-hour course. It's a free course to help us with our personal finances, to help you win with your money. We are going to video Joe in, and it's going to be on Thursday, May 19th here at church from 6 to 8. A pizza dinner is provided. It's free, and you can register for that on our website. You can also scan the QR code, and we would love to have you join us for that. And then the second thing I wanted to say is in your seat, there are two pieces of paper. I'm going to talk about one of them. It is a graduate form. If you have someone who's graduating from high school or graduating from college, if you could fill that out, and then um, there will be a basket on your way out. You can put it in the basket. Next Sunday is Graduate Sunday, and we just want to honor all of our graduates who are a part of our congregation. You can also uh, do that online. Thanks. I'm about the second thing that's in your paper, in your desk, uh, your seat. <laughs> Here's a secret I want to let you in on. You ready? Church is not an event that one attends. It's not a place where we go. Church is a family to which we belong. And you know what our family does? It does generous things. And we've been saying around here, you don't have to be wealthy to be generous. You know what you have to be to be generous? generous. Isn't that cool? Janice Lackey sitting right here. Her name is on the bottom of this. One of the ways that we as a family respond to the world out there is there's real need. Children who don't have food at home and therefore end 68 is ending the 68 hours of hunger from Friday's free lunch at school till Sunday morning's a Monday morning's breakfast, they even more hungry in the, in the summer. So this is a way for you, family, to continue to be generous in the way that we give to our community. There are lots and lots of families. If you're interested more about this, if you want to join this mission, Janice is here right now this morning. If you're online, you can see Janice's phone number, and you can text her and copy her if you want to be a part of this. But what we want to do is help alleviate hunger with children. This is one of the ways we give back to God. We always remind you, however, that you are also financially generous, keeping the lights on and doing all this stuff and having staff and all that. So we have a generosity box in the back. We also have what we call five ways to give, which are up here. You know how that works. It is a great thing to be a family and respond with real need, to real need with real response, a response that matters. Make a difference. Continue to be generous, generous people. Amen.
like y'all to imagine an eight-year-old Adam, a short, well, shorter eight-year-old Adam, and a Sunday morning. And I participated in a service similar to what Miss Rachel provides for our kids. And a missionary had come, and she came to share of her mission in Vietnam. And after sharing, she invited every child to think and pray about where the Lord would possibly send them. So we had children saying, oh, I'd like to go to China, Australia, Sweden. And I know it was getting closer and closer to my turn. But what was in my mind was this show, I don't know if you've heard of it, it's called Touched by an Angel. And it was really popular in, in the 90s. And Roma Downey, she, I had a little crush on her, but that's besides the point. But I remember seeing an episode where this woman had shared her faith and she was kicked down a flight of stairs. And I knew that if I said some international country, that guy was listening and he was probably gonna send me there. So when it came to my turn, I said, I want to be in the US of A. And I, I, that was it. But the reality was is that when I said that, I, I felt like it was a cop out. I felt like when Matthew 28, 19 says to go and make disciples of all nations, that it meant that I had to go to Russia. I had to go to China. And even after making an international mission trip and attending that, the reality is, is that our mission field starts the moment that we step out of these doors. It's not just the four corners of the earth, but it is South Tampa. It is St. Petersburg. It is Wesley Chapel. It's our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, our enemies, those that provide services to us. Those are our mission field. That is where we share that I was lost, but now I am found. I had a thirst that couldn't be quenched by people or things, but it was Jesus that saved me, that quenched that thirst and took me out of the desert into the promised land. That is the good news, and that is the story that we share to our friends. So let's stand together and continue.
We were not created to live stagnant lives, to be stuck, bound, or broken. We were created with a purpose, a calling, a mandate, a mission. Even in these uncertain times, that calling remains the same. To go into the world, to make disciples, to share the love of Jesus. This is the work of Easter. The greatness of God, the power of the resurrection in action. What Jesus did has changed us made us a new creation, given us an unimaginable hope. Grace has taken root. Mercy has flooded our souls, and the promise of eternity has redefined our everything. So why keep all that to ourselves? It's time to put Easter in motion, to make a difference, to share Jesus, with the world around us. If your life has been changed, it's time to get to work. I'm gonna come to all of that in just a second, but first, just, I have to say this, happy Mother's Day. My phone is blowing up right now. Kathy did a wedding in Atlanta last night, and she's on her way. And so all these people are saying, one man, I'm not going to say who, wrote Kathy a note this morning and said, Happy Mother's Day to the best mother I know. How about that? Isn't that nice? My own mom died two weeks ago, two years ago yesterday, and I thought I could just sort of say that, but I had a moment right over here anticipating that, standing up and saying it. So she was 93, and she had dementia, and she had cancer, but, I, you know, still... Emotion is a very real thing. So it's a, it's a rich thing. McLean already said, for some folks, Mother's Day is hard. There are lots of mothers. Some of you are in the room who've seen great loss, and Mother's Day is really hard. But you know what? I've already said it. I'll repeat it. We're a family, and what we do is love each other really well. And we love each other when it's good to love, and we love each other when it's hard to love. But we hang on because we can do this as a family. We can make our faith a real thing. And one of the ways we make it real is by just navigating this beautiful complexity of family and our original families, our mothers and, and such. So all of that is just a way of saying warming up. And now, now let's talk about how we go to the ends. I'm going to demystify that a little bit for you this morning. That's my goal. By the time you leave here today, you're going to have some clarity about what you can do to be a part of enlarging the footprint of God's love in the world. You're going to know how you can go to the ends. And so make sure you listen to me today and hold me accountable to getting that job done. And well, let's start this way. Let's start with a fantastic experience that took place on Easter Sunday at First Presbyterian Church at 412 Zach Street downtown with none other than head football coach, the greatest of all time, Bobby Bowden. <laughs> Come on, where's my picture? There it is. I thought it's not. So I want you to look carefully. You may not know this, but that is head coach Bobby Bowden. He's about 18 months out of winning his second national championship, second national championship. So 
I'm just looking at the Gators right over here. They're not happy at all. And I know Kathy was up here squawking about Florida last week, so I'm getting her back. <laughs> and she, she's not here to defend. So what here you have, a 1996 piece of junk Ford Explorer with 107,000 miles on it, driving it his son, Jamie, a sophomore at Plant High School, just turned 16 in March of 2001. This is April 15th. 2001. Look at Reed. He's got a grid going on. <laughs> Reed's got a grid going on in his teeth there. He's in the seventh grade. He ain't no bigger than a minute. Here's what happened. I learned that Bobby Bowden, who is a Christian man, he, he was a Christian man, a follower of Jesus. I learned that after National Signing Day, which was always the first Wednesday in February, between National Signing Day and about six weeks until spring football started, he gave sermons and talks all over the place. And I ran into one fellow, I saw him online, who had had him in three different of his churches as a Baptist who kept moving and kept getting Bobby to go with him. I said, well, Dadgummit, I want Bobby to give a sermon at our church. So I, I, somebody said, write him a letter at his house. So I did. And the next thing I know, his administrator, Sue Hall, calls me and says, are you Fitz? I go, yeah. He says, I'm Coach Bowden's administrator, Sue Hall. He's coming to give the sermon at your church. You have one choice. Easter Sunday, April 15, 2001. I go, great, fantastic. All we had to do was pay for the private jet to get him down here. Well, here's what I did to the boys. I said, boys. Bobby Bowden and his son Steve have written a book. It's on leadership. If you will read it, I have a surprise for you. So they picked Bobby Bowden up at Peter O'Knight in that piece of junk car. <laughs> so here's what Bobby said. He said, Reed really is a small guy, and Reed and Jamie walk out onto the tarmac, and Bobby looks at Reed and says, where's the rest of you? So one more, two more things about Bobby. He, I called Sue two or three weeks before Easter and said, Sue, I need to know what his text is going to be about. She said, I don't know. You ask him, click. And the next thing I know, he goes, he's on the line. He goes, Fitz, what kind of name is that? <laughs> anyway, Bobby Bowden comes to First Presbyterian Church. I didn't advertise it because I didn't want the press there, but we still packed the place. On Friday of that week, I put it out. And so we didn't have press, and Bobby came and gave a sermon. Here's what I want you to know about his sermon. Bobby Bowden was celebrating Easter with us, and Bobby Bowden made it clear as a follower of Jesus that we were in the middle of Resurrection Day and the rescue, the salvation, the putting it all back together, the meaning of God at, at work in and through Jesus' death and resurrection, all of that has exploded into our world, into our lives, into our families, into our businesses. And this is what he said, the same thing you just heard from the bumper video. He said it this way, if you had found a cure for cancer, wouldn't you want everyone to know about it? And what we have in resurrection is way better than a cure for cancer. We're in Easter. This is Easter season. And what we're celebrating is the fact that God has made all things right again. And here, better than cancer, what the resurrection does is it defeats the worst enemy, the final enemy. And maybe you know this. 
Maybe you know this is what I'm about to say next. Think about what I might be saying next. What enemy has been defeated? The enemy that's been defeated is death itself. And wouldn't we want people to know it? Because we love them and we care about them. And that's the reason that we want to be people that take who we are and go to the ends. And this morning, I'm going to demystify that for you by helping you to understand that for you and for me, for most of us, to the ends is going to be right where we already are. And it's going to be fundamentally, relentlessly, endlessly relational. We're being invited to share the best news ever in the relationships that we already have. Some people feel called and led to go to some other place. In the, Christ, in the great thing, which is the Christian church, all the Christian churches, some people want to go somewhere else. Sure, and that's a part of it. But for most of us, ordinary, everyday folks, what we do is we go to the ends right where we are. It's in our relationships. And around here, we're saying that we believe that real relationships result in real transformation. And Easter, in a real relationship with the risen Jesus Christ, transforms me. And then I am transforming as I involve myself with my family. And the next thing I know, we want our family to get bigger because we want people that don't know this to know it. Pretty simple. I'm kind of excited about that. I want to be a transformed person experiencing love with you and, lo and forgiveness, and I want to be transparent, I want to be authentic, and I want to be vulnerable, and I want to be all of that so that all of those kinds of relationships and then the footprint enlarges because we invite others who we already know and care about into real relationships with us, and sooner or later, somehow, all of that that's so true and real about me becomes a part of my relationship with people. And it's not, it's not forced. And friends, it's a marathon. It ain't a sprint. We go slowly. We go relationally. But that's how most of us are going to go to the ends. When you hear about somebody who says, I'm, God wants me to go there. Oh, yeah, you want to support them. But the there is already present in your life. So we, we have this. I'm a Bible nerd. You don't, please don't think you need to be a Bible nerd to be a person who can be a part of this enlarging the footprint. You can't be. Here's what you need to know about me. The New Testament, we're about to read a chunk of it, was written in the Greek language of the first century. I diagram sentences, you with me? In Greek, in my head, for fun, on purpose. <laughs> So, so if you're around me and you realize I know all this stuff, it's true, I do. But you don't have to be that. You have to be an authentic follower of Jesus. Please don't try to be like me. <laughs> but, but I have a place to play. You want me doing that. You want me listening carefully to the text in the language that it was written in. And you want me diagramming those sentences. And literally, I do. I could teach you English grammar. Because you can't do Greek grammar without doing English grammar first. But that's not what the job is here. That's not how you go to the ends. Relentlessly relational. But Bible Nerd Fits is going to help you see this big picture. And then we're going to make it really personal and really glandular. So let's take a big look at the, let's take a look at the big picture. And this passage we're looking at today, it's already been referenced. It's called the Great Commission. In other words, the marching orders that Jesus leaves with his people. 
as he vacates the premises. Okay, so we're going to look at this first chunk of it. It's Matthew chapter 28. It's verses 16 through 20. We're going to look at verses 16 and 17 right now. When the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go, then the, then they, and when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. A couple of things I want to say about that. First thing, mountains. All kinds of cool stuff happens on mountains in the Bible. Like we had in Matthew's gospel, go back, this is chapter 28, go back to chapters 5, 6, 7. I told you I was a Bible nerd. Sermon of the Mount. Even if you didn't know where it was, you heard probably, many of you have heard of the Sermon on the Mount. The greatest sermon ever given. Go read it, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. Great stuff happens on mountains. There was this thing called the Ten Commandments. Guess where those were given? On a mountain. You've had mountaintop experiences. It's where the term comes from, from the Bible where all this mountaintop revelation from God happens in people's lives. So Jesus tells them to go up to this hill, and he's going to there give them their marching orders. Then it says 11 disciples. Let's talk first about 11. You with me? There used to be 12. Why were there 12? Because there are 12 tribes of Israel. And Israel is God's family. And Israel's marching orders from God were to be a blessing to all the nations. In other words, to go to the ends and let everyone know that God is good and they, God wants to love them and they need to be loved back, right? That's what Jesus, why he had 12. One of them committed suicide, Judas. Judas bailed on Jesus, turned him in to the authorities that hated and were threatened by Jesus. And he couldn't stand it. The remorse, the guilt overwhelmed him. He took his own life, hung himself. Here's what you need to know about Judas. He had another option. This is so powerful. You have an option. Your friends that don't know they're loved have an option. You know what Judas' option was? To go back to Jesus and just fall down and, and just cry and say, I'm sorry. And you know what Jesus would have done? You do, don't you? Yeah. He would have hugged him and kissed him and wiped the tears off his cheeks and loved him and said, I understand. Let's start a new way. No one is ineligible. The folks that you know who are in your life, who you care about, who you may even love, who you're pretty sure are far from God. Some of them, maybe many of them, don't want anything to do with God for a lot of reasons, but one of them may think they're not worthy. And you're going to be the arms around that person. You're going to love them unconditionally. And you're never, ever going to quit loving them because you're never, ever going to get quit. You're never going to be not loved by Jesus, and you got something to give because you're getting it. Oh, it's so powerful. So we went from 11. Later on, they're going to pick another dude and fill it back out to 12 again. But that's later on in the story. Disciples. Here's where we need to demystify a little bit. I bet 99 out of 100 of us in the room would see that word disciple and go, not me. I don't know what that means, but I ain't one of them. And I, I need to help you see that, oh, yeah, the word disciple, we've over-mystified it. We've over-religiousized it. We've made it in an impossible thing. Here's what a disciple is. We've used words on purpose, follower. How about this word, apprentice? 
Now, you might think, I'm not all that great of a person, and I got all these bad habits, and I'm a sinner, and all this other stuff, and maybe you are, but you can begin to say, wait a minute, I could follow Jesus around and apprentice to him. Follow him and apprentice him. And then he will do the changing. You don't, you don't change to get yourself good enough to be a follower of Jesus. You just start following. So here's a, a quick definition of a disciple. A disciple is a person who's chosen to follow Jesus, who's secondly saying, okay, I'm going to get out of the way and let you change me into the person you want me to be. And the third thing a disciple does is says, yeah, I want to go on your mission with you. I want to be a part of you enlarging the footprint of the family of faith. I want to go to the ends. So mountains, 11, disciple. Notice here it says, they saw him and worshiped him, but some doubted. You know, that's a, does that not surprise you? So worship him. Here's what the word literally means. They hit the ground. It means, uh, I told you I was a Bible nerd, proskuneo is the Greek verb, just because of whatever. So it, um, they, they hit the ground. They're talking about loyalty. They're talking about paying homage to him. They're talking about honoring him. They're talking about their own fidelity to him. They're talking about devotion. They worshiped him. They had begun to put together the reality that this was God with us. That's what they'd begun to see. So all this is happening. Yeah, I told you, there's a lot happening here, and that's what's happening here. So that some of us may be saying uh, they worship him, but some doubted. So uh, we, uh, let me read the next part then. Then Jesus came to the them and said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Let me stop there. All authority has been given to you. Jesus, are you looking around at the world? Have you seen it recently? It's a mess. It's a disaster. And we have you sitting in this room right now. Our city, our world, man, something is wrong. It ain't what it's supposed to be. You could start listing the ways that you're deeply troubled about what's going on around us. I'm deeply troubled about what's going on around us. Lots of stuff, very challenging, very difficult. The wheels look like they're coming off. And yet Jesus says, I am the resurrected king of the universe. I am in charge. I'm running the show. And so what we're going to do is we're going to say, okay, you want me to go to the ends? It looks like chaos out there. There's, there's all kinds of problems. It's not the way it's supposed to be. But I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to believe that you're at work. And so Jesus, of course, is at work. And everything that's new about your life, anything in your life that you can say is different because you're a Jesus follower, he's at work in the world. He's bringing it about. Sometimes what he brings about happens quickly, but a lot of times it's just one step after the other. He's working through. Here's the shock to the ends. You know what his plan is? Working through us. That's the shock. There ain't no plan B. Go look for a plan B. There isn't one. It's us. It's the family of faith. So we have the authority of Jesus, the chaos out there notwithstanding. We have real transformation that's taking place in people's lives under the authority like a king's authority. That's what's going on in the world. That's what he's trying to do. And so we're being asked to push it forward. You and I pray maybe the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And what Jesus is saying is it's happening. 
My kingdom is coming. My will is being done. He's not finished yet. There's a cleanup operation that's happening later on, and he'll sweep through and get it all straight. But right now, the first steps, the peak into the future has already taken place in the presence, and the resurrection is the way that we know it's real. We tr it's true. The resurrection is true, and Jesus is wanting to use us. So a couple of more things here before I give you your really clear marching orders. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. I know, unbelievably intimidating. Go and make disciples of all nations. Lots of reasons why it's intimidating. I'm not good enough. I Thursday morning with our men, which is, by the way, the greatest life group in the history of the life groups. This Thursday morning <laughs> is 7 o'clock at Wright's Gourmet. Go, make disciples. Here's why I said, gentlemen, how does that make you feel? I'm not, I, I'm not worthy. I'm too much of a sinner. I don't know enough. And then they're around me, and I'm a Bible nerd, and I know a lot. By the way, me knowing a lot doesn't make me love God anymore, right? If I have a Ph.D. in marriage and family therapy, it doesn't make me a good husband. What makes me a good husband is loving my wife. So what makes me a good follower of Jesus is loving Jesus. I also happen to know a bunch of stuff, and I'm happy to interact with you about the stuff. But what's really important is don't be intimidated, but there's a lot. I don't know squat, you might be thinking. There's so much criticism out there about the Christian world. The biggest criticism is that we're judgmental. So we have to, you have to really, if you want to go and make disciples, go loving like Jesus. If you watch carefully, when Jesus interacts with a lost person, he tells them the truth, but they walk away feeling loved, not condemned. And when you love somebody, then you can talk truthfully about them. If you don't love them, you ain't got the right to tell them what you think the truth is. Love them first. Just watch Jesus. He's the person we model. There's skepticism about a lot of things out there. It's really hard. It is intimidating. And the skepticism is on the increase. People are attacking. They're going to say to you, why would you read this book? It's just a book. They're talking about the Bible. Now's not the time to trot out for you why I think the Bible is a highly reliable. It's the Word of God, and it's 100% reliable. If you want to know more about that, you grab me, and we'll have coffee, and I'll give you some good stuff. You may have a friend or a relative who says, yeah, I sort of believe in God, but that book, I'll help you with that. Happy to do that. There's all kinds of suffering in the world, and that bothers people. So there's lots of reasons why it's intimidating. But here's what we need to understand. Your life is different. My life is different. It's not because of me. It's because of God taking up residence in me, the resurrected Jesus by his spirit in me. And so, therefore, I have something to say about why life is good. And God is bigger than all these problems. So he says, make disciples of all nations. And he says, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We had a baptism of an adult last week right here, a young woman saying, I'm following Jesus. That's what we're talking about. A lot of people out there need to decide to follow Jesus. Remember, that's the first step of being a disciple. I'm going to choose to follow him, and we want to be invitational. We want to say, okay, there, here's, there's always this chance for you to decide you want to follow this person and apprentice to him and love him. Great. And just lovingly say it over and over again in, in appropriate ways that are relational ways. So baptizing people in the name of the Father, Son, and then teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And again, you, you recoil going, how can I teach them? I don't know squat. But what that really means is it's not knowledge only. It's a way of life. 
So when, when we talk about teach here, we're talking about how is my life different, what I do. So I may say to you, yes, I think the Bible teaches us that we're supposed to pray, but what good is that? What's good is I have in me praying. So learning to do things like pray. Then we're talking about teaching in the sense of not, not just intellectually giving assent to a set of beliefs, but actually doing stuff with it. And that's what Jesus means here. One last thing up there that I want you to see. Look at the last line. I No, not that. It ain't a ghost story, by the way. Look at the last line. I'm with you. Told you I was a Bible nerd. I am with you. Anybody remember what Jesus, one of Jesus' names is in Matthew chapter 1? Emmanuel. Matthew chapter 21, verse, uh, chapter 1, 1, chapter 1. This is 20, 28 chapters in Matthew. Chapter 1 says, I, Jesus Christ, Emmanuel. Here he says, I am with you. Hyperlink. You with me? You understand what I'm saying? These guys realize that the Emmanuel who was born has now grown up and is God with us. And Matthew, on purpose, wants you and me as well as them to catch that. The name of Jesus is now the reality of Jesus. He's with us. Jesus is always with us. How are we going to do this? I said it's not a ghost story. You can throw that up for you, Matt, just a second. <laughs> it ain't a ghost story. What I mean by that is this. I mean this with intellectual vigor. This really happened. Jesus is not a ghost. This is not a nice story that has this pretty picture of a resurrection. It's a real thing that happened in history the same way that my mom died two years ago or that you were born when you were born. That's, this is a real thing, not a made-up thing. And that's a part of what I believe, and it's a part of what I want you to believe and wrestle with. It's real. Resurrection is real. It's not a violation of the rules of the universe, the physical rules. It's the God reality stepping into our physical reality. It's not a violation of time and space and reason and logic and gravity. It's just a fuller picture of all reality. If God can make the universe, and God did, then a resurrection is chicken feed. It's not a ghost story. It's very real. And if it isn't real, then you don't have any juice. You can't go to the ends. I mean, you, you're good people, and you're going to want to help people. And that, I don't mean it that way. But we, we can't stay at it unless the risen Jesus who is real takes up residence in us and pushes us out the door. I want to say something about relationships. I'll just Mother's Day. Here's what Paul says to the Christians, the movement who, that had started in a part of the area which is mostly Greece and Macedonia, a little town called Thessalonica. Paul says to them, I gave you the best I could, an understanding of who Jesus is, but not only that, I loved you the way a mother loves her children tenderly. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Look it up. I loved you the way a mother loved her children. And so we're relentlessly, endlessly, never unembarrassingly, happily, always going to be relational. We're going to love people really well. Why? Because that's how Jesus loves us. Let me say it to you this way. 
We can't go on Jesus' mission and expect to accomplish Jesus' results without employing Jesus, without employing Jesus' methods. His methods were to love people. He was relational. He spent almost his entire three years of public ministry with 12 people. Endlessly, relentlessly, never-endingly, lovingly relational. Here's what I want you to do. This is your homework. We're demystifying this now. We're landing the plane. You ready? Who is your one? Who's the person that you know, you know well, you care about? You may even love this person. But this person you're certain is not vitally connected to Jesus Christ. This person may be far from God. This person may be really easily, observably lost, doing all kinds of hurtful or bad or wrong things. I, I don't know. Who is your one? See, the way that you're going to go to the ends, you're not going to add a bunch of work to your life. Mm -mm, not at all. You're going to do what you're already doing differently, intentionally, relationally investing in this person who's your one. One of the practical ways I've asked this question is, who is it that you know, anybody in your whole life, who doesn't need to be in a life group? Do you know somebody who doesn't need a life group? I don't. So some of you in the room right now, I'm asking you to come to our Thursday morning life group. I don't want anything from you. I want something for you. We need to be in doing these groups together. So the, your one may be a person. If you're in a life group, what I want to know is who's the one who you're inviting to come to it who isn't in one now? Because I promise you, they need to be in it, whoever they are. If they're not in one, they need to be in one. That's one way of getting at it. Who is your one? And I want to ask you to think about it this way. Ask you who's your one and let it be someone who isn't in your family. In other words, your family is certainly who you're investing in. But add to it just one more. We, some of us have more capacity than just one, but how about just one? If every one of us just loved one on purpose, our family, love your family. They're a part of how you go to the ends of the earth. No question about that. You teach your children and your husband and your wife and your mom and your dad and your whatever. All of that is where we do this, loving on each other. But in addition to that, who's the one? And just look at the room, and there'll be more people in here at 1045. Look at the room. How quickly does it take us to double? I don't care about the number. I care about people knowing Jesus. I care about people growing in their faith. And wouldn't it be cool if we doubled? Huh? Wouldn't that be awesome if everyone's one? Now, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And we don't judge. And we don't condemn. We love. You'll get to the place in some relationships where the person will trust you and you can say to them, are you sure this is best? Are you sure this is good? You may say to them in some loving way, this is really wrong. But only after they know you love them. Quick acronym. For that, that, that's not what I meant to say. I said children. I said spouse. I said parents. I said family. Who's your one? I'm going to ask you to do this now. Not an acronym. I'm going to ask you to just close your eyes and allow me to pray with you and for you as I even pray for myself. There's somebody in your life that God wants you to extend intentionally into a new relationship with.
Gracious God, we want to be a part of expanding your footprint. And I'm thinking right now about two people in my life who are not my family, in addition to my family, who I'm going to, intent, I'm going to pick up the intentionality. I'm going to ask questions and listen well. I'm going to invest in this relationship in a, in a new way. We're already friends. For each one of us in the room right now, There's somebody I'm close to, somebody I care about, somebody I may even love, but who I'm pretty certain is far from you. And I want them to know something even better than the cure for cancer. I want them to know that they can have a new life. Thank you, gracious God, that you've transformed us and we're, we're real people and we're in real relationships with you and each other and our family and we're transforming and therefore we're more able to be on your mission to love people the way you have loved us. Give us a clear sense of what we might say and do next to invite somebody into a deeper friendship, hoping that that friendship becomes even more of a conduit, a bridge about what it really matters in life. Help me to have something to say about how you're real to me so that I can talk with them about how I hope that you would become real to them. All this in the name of Jesus, who we worship, we adore, we fall down on our knees in gratitude. Amen. All right, y'all, let's stand together. I raise a hallelujah.